0: Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We're continuing a series because, you know, coming into Christmas, it's always good to think on Christmas themes. And so I thought we'd do some sermons on some of the players in this early narrative in Luke. So, like Zachariah, John the Baptist dad, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom. And Mary, whose mom is that? Yeah, and so uh, it'll help us prepare our hearts as we get the most out of Christmas this year. So um, I'm calling it Prepare the Way. So in Luke, it begins this way, inasmuch as as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word... Have delivered them to us. It seems good to me, also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I, you know, I like this. So Luke's writing a letter. Luke and Acts, you know, this orderly account, and he writes it to a guy named Theophilus. And what's fascinating is Theophilus can be translated "friend of God." or lover of God, or one that God loves. But when I read it as friend of God, I'm like, oh, he wrote it for me too, right? He wrote it for you, Theophilus. And so the passage that I want to look at begins here. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah. There were like 23 or 25 divisions of priests, and they, they served for like a couple weeks at a time. Right, and they got, and they they didn't have to live close to the temple, super close, but they all served at, at the temple, and so that's his division. And he and had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So they both were of priestly lineage, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now, when you read this and I read this, we go, oh, Herod, you know, oh, he's part of the story. But I think when they heard Herod, they're like, oh, it's kind of like if you lived under North communist regime, right? You know, like, like you breathe wrong, you go to prison or die, you you know what I'm saying? And Herod was the type of guy who would execute, uh, he executed one of his 10 wives His mother-in-law, some say even other family members, and three of his children. What does it take to execute your your wife and your kids? And then he killed the babies. Uh, Like, hey, you know, I'm kind of threatened by this, this king who was born. Let's just kill all the babies in this area. And when he died, he was so hated, he wanted people to, to lament, he wanted people to mourn his death, so he gathered well-loved like, leaders in the community, jailed them, and he said, when I die, I want them all killed, so there's mourning in the land. Now, thank God, they did not obey his order, right? But what kind of guy does that? Like, here, this is the method. This is King Herod. And I always think, well, how does this apply to me? And maybe you think that way too. And, and I, think, I think there's something in me that is like King Herod. And I, I'm maybe not like the killer, but I want to do my will, not God's will. I want to go my way and not God's way, right? It's like King Jesus, and I want to be King me, right? Who's sitting on the throne? Well, oh, can't I sit on the throne, you know? And um, let me go back. And and I was thinking about this passage here because this kind of shows this struggle that we have with wanting to be good or do good and love God and honor God and not being able to accomplish it as we would want. And, and, and I read this and I thought, you know, this is a great way for followers of Jesus to think. The Apostle Paul, writing about his struggle with sin, said this. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, you read that and you're like, well, is that a cop-out, right? I didn't do that. The devil made me do it. Some of you remember that, right? And, um, but I think it's good theology and good psychology. So what he's saying here is, Although I have this sinful side, the part I identify with is the one that delights in God's law, the one that loves God, sees God, right? Not the part that holds grudges, not the part that wants to give in to passions and desires that aren't godly. The, the me who I identify with is the one that's the new creature in Christ, So, God, you, by your spirit, help me to walk in this newness that you have made me to be. Not my Herod side, right, but my new creature side. So as you're going through your day and you're going, you know, that's kind of a Herod choice, isn't it? I want to be in this new way of living. And I think this is what Paul is saying. Although sin dwells in me and I can't always do what I want to do, my heart, my desire, my delight is in the will and the word and the law of God. So the scripture goes on, and uh, I read that first part, and it says, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. Elizabeth was barren, and they both were advanced in years. Now, I know if you want to have children, and you can't, there is, that's frustrating, it's hard, it's Difficult, but lots of people choose that. Back in that culture, no, 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 no. You were thought of as cursed by God. I mean, even to this day, look at this barren woman forced to divorce. This is a Jewish rabbinical court forced a woman to accept a divorce because uh, her proven infertility, preventing her husband from fulfilling the commandment to be fruitful and multiply. Truly one of the best commandments. Uh, the court ruled that the husband had the right to create a family of his own. From the perspective of the Jewish law, the factual, well, there is a cause to obligate the woman to accept the divorce, the rabbi said. I know. We look at this and go, how barbaric. If that's what it was, is now, right? what was it like back then? So poor Elizabeth. Now, her husband didn't put her out, right? But she felt the curse, and they cried out in prayer for for answer. And then one day, while her husband, the priest, was serving with his division on duty according to the customs of the priesthood, they would draw straws, by the way, and he was chosen by this Drawing of straws, this lot, that he could be the one. It's like a once in a lifetime opportunity to to burn incense in the room right next to the Holy of Holies that you don't go into without the shedding of blood and like once a year. But you're in this really special room and the incense were like prayers. So he draws the straw. He gets to do this once in a lifetime community and the people are praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing. Standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. We would be troubled too if an angel just popped in here. <clears throat> and he, fear fell upon him. And the angel said what angels always say when they appear do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? My, I, Lord, please give us a child. Take away our disgrace. And, and Elizabeth will bear a son. And you shall call his name John. Not after the dad, but John. You know, you got these two people, they're righteous, and they have been in God's waiting room for a long time. You know what I'm talking about. Do you have any prayers you've been praying for years? I do. Years, fasting, praying, praying years, and it's like you're in God's waiting room. You're crying out for the things that you want to see, how you want to see God move, and, and it's just it's just not happening, right? And this is where they had been, and now this angel comes and says, I heard it. And this is the same angel who came to Daniel and was stuck for a while until you know he got he could get to Daniel it's the same angel that comes to Mary and lets her know and, and their prayers their desires had been answered although she she was she hadn't conceived yet after he leaves the temple she'll conceive and isn't it interesting that we call a pregnant woman expecting because once he told them your prayers have been answered they were expecting and I have to wonder if some of us are expecting, like, God has an answer to the prayers we're praying, but we just don't know when it's going to happen. Do you like to wait? I do not like to wait. This is truly a picture I took getting out of a Christmas concert at Severance. I, that was just, I, I just didn't want to go through that. Um Christian's there. I'm going, I got to get a picture. And we're just like, meh, meh, meh. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't like to wait. I, I do not like to wait. I want my prayers answered when I pray them. And I think life doesn't always give us what we want, and it doesn't always work out like we planned, and we say, God, I've wanted to be married now. I thought I'd be married now, and I'm not, or I I thought I'd be out of my parents' house by now. You know, I go down the street, and I see kids, and I'm like, oh, that guy, what, he's 34, still lives with mom and dad. This one's 30, still lives with mom and dad. This one's 36. So I'm like, wow, Wow! I thought I'd be out of my parents' house by now. I, I never thought I'd get a divorce, God. I never thought that would happen, Lord. I thought I'd be further along in my career by now. I thought I'd outgrow acne, God. I thought I'd be free from this particular sin. I, I, I never thought I envisioned this tragedy in my life. I, I thought my life would be different. Like we have cries of our heart that we cry out to God and. And many times the things that we want just aren't served to us as fast as we want them. And sometimes never and waiting is really difficult. And waiting sometimes can move us to even doubt God's goodness. Do you really love me? Like if you love me, you would answer my prayer because I'm such a good religious person. And I'm good, so you have to answer my prayer. And I couldn't help but think about Abraham, you know. God comes to him. You're going, to have, you're going to have a great nation, right? A great nation will come from your body, from your seed. And he's like, oh, that's great. And then he gets old. He gets really old. And as he's getting old, his wife and him are like, you know, we need to help God along. God, I think what he meant is, you sleep with my younger servant here. Make a baby. I'll catch it. It'll be mine, right? Right. It, it's a thing, and, and so they kind of scheme, and, you know, and God changes his promise to Abraham. He goes from you'll be a great nation to you're going to be great nations, right? And he loves both children, but we know there's conflict going on even now to this day because of this decision that, that happened. There's, there's turmoil, but you know, when God isn't answering your prayers, sometimes you want to just take matters into your own hands. You want to fix it yourself. And if you know anything about the Scriptures, these long period of waiting for prayers to be answered is experienced in this 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I really think Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth giving birth to the first prophet is kind of this... This picture of what happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They call these the silent years because you have Malachi or Malachi, right? The last prophet, and then you have nothing happening for 400 years. And the people are like, God, where's our prophets? We read this in scripture. And you know what's interesting? You know how long they were in slavery in Egypt? 400 years. And they were waiting for their deliverer, for their exodus. When Jesus is up the mountain, if you know the Greek, it says he was, they were discussing his exodus, right? So you wait for 400 years in slavery, and then they wait again 400 years in silence for the new exodus, for the new deliverer to be born. And the prophet that is now going to speak is John the Baptist. I, I just want to put in a little perspective 400 years is a long time. America seems like we've been here forever, right? 247 years this past 4th of July. And in 400 years, no one will know your name. <laughs> right? I mean, think about that. 400 years is a long time to wait and wait and wait for your prayers to be answered. And that's what they were experiencing The last word given through Malachi was this. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Waiting silently is the hardest thing of all. Yeah. I mean, I remember some of Mother Teresa's stuff, how she just felt the dark night of after, after she died. They read her stuff, and they thought, wow, she had the dark night of the soul. You know, she waited silently even though she served and followed God. Waiting is so hard, and that's what they were doing. But the angel comes. Don't be afraid. You're going to have a son. And look what it says. And you will have joy and gladness, gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. It's like the Nazarite vow. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in the womb. Like God, God gave the Holy Spirit to a, a fetus, to a zygote, right? How beautiful is that? And I always think it's interesting. You know, John the Baptist didn't drink. Jesus did, right? John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit, but Jesus, the Spirit creates Jesus, so he's the God-man. And, and then when I read about this joy, How many remember how he died? We talked about that. How did John the Baptist die? Yeah, do you wish that if you were his parents, you weren't alive at that time? Right? Because he got his head chopped off and served on a platter. And as I was thinking about the joy, I thought, you know, in Ecclesiastes, we learned God gives us the gift to be able to enjoy the moment. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And being able to rejoice in the birth or rejoice in a meal or rejoice in a friendship and rejoice in the moments of today, that's a true gift, right? There's this country song that I, uh, that I play once in a while because it's all about, like, this is the good life right now, and he lists all the problems. I'm like, that's the good life. And and he rejoiced even though God knew where he was headed. And it says he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Oh, and by the way, I just put that picture there so you could kind of see where the um, the altar was and how close to the Holy of Holies and the curtain it was. And what does it mean to make ready a people for the Lord? I mean, they they preach repentance, right? Turn from your foolish, your selfish ways, your sinful ways. The Holy Spirit wasn't poured out yet. John had it in womb, but had him in the womb, but not but not anybody else yet in the fullness. And so what, what it, how did John's ministry, this baby made by Elizabeth and Zechariah, how did that prepare a way for the Lord? And I think there was a revival back in the day. I think there was a, a fervor for God. I mean, you had like the religious people coming, and what does John go? You brood of vipers, right? You know, like he, you know, he, he is preaching repentance and people are getting baptized for the forgiveness of sins and I think they're turning from their sinful ways and starting to walk with God and trying their hardest to be good. Have you ever tried your hardest to do what's right? How did you do? How long could you keep that up? I love what C.S. Lewis says because I think this is how... John paved the way for Jesus. Because striving to be good, I believe, paves the way for the gospel. Lewis writes this, Now we cannot discover our failure to keep God's law except by trying our very hardest and then failing. Unless we really try. Whatever we say, there will always be at the back of our minds the idea that if we had tried harder the next time, we shall succeed in being completely good. Thus, in one sense, the road back to God is the road of moral effort. So Lewis is saying all of us need to expend every amount of energy we ever can to live the perfect life. And he goes uh, of trying harder and harder, but in another sense, it's not trying that is ever going to bring us home. All this trying leads to the vital moment at which you turn to God and say, you must do it, I can't. Step one of AA. Right? Yeah, I am powerless, right? But, but we need to try or else we'll think, oh, I could truly have saved myself if I just tried a little harder. And it brings us to this Now, Lewis has something which I think needs to be added to this that he says at a different place. Oh, all the striving brings us to say, Jesus, you did it. He says, I'll do for you what you could never do for yourself. But Lewis says, you know, after our failures, right, we ask forgiveness, we pick ourselves up, and we try again. And he said, very often, what God's first helps us towards is not the virtue itself, So what is he saying he goes you're trying to defeat sin you're trying to live right speak right do do everything right and and you're you're going for virtue and he and Lewis says you know it may not be virtue he's trying to teach you he may be teaching you tenacity it says uh, very often what God's first helps us towards is not virtue itself but just the power of always trying again For however important chastity or courage or truthfulness or any other virtue may be, the process trains us in the habits of the soul, which are more important still. It cures us of our illusion about ourselves and teaches us to depend on God. We learn on one hand that we cannot trust ourselves even in the best of moments, right? Paul says, my conscience is clear, but it doesn't make me blameless. He he learned he can't trust himself even in the best of moments. And on the other hand, we need not despair even in our worst for our failures are forgiven. Isn't that beautiful? I think John the Baptist prepares the way as they have this revival. Everybody's trying and Jesus comes on the scene. And we learn about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who fulfills the law for us so we now can walk by the Spirit. Well, the Scripture goes on, and the angel says uh, to Zechariah, I'm sorry, Zechariah says to the angel, and I just got to paint this picture. Here you are, burning incense. This divine being shows up. Fear is in your heart. You've never experienced this before. He brings you this word that your prayers have been answered. And what does he say? How do I know this? (laughs) I'm an old man. My wife is old. Come on. Like, have you seen our bodies? You know, and we're advanced in years. And the angel looks at him. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you to bring you good news. Look. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my word which will be fulfilled in their time. So you had 400 years of silence and now you got Zechariah with a little more silence to think about it. The scriptures say, I believe, therefore I speak. Zechariah, I don't believe, Zach- therefore I don't speak, right? And God takes away the, his voice For him to think about this because he doubted the voice of God. And when the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, right? And I started thinking about this because this... This beautiful promise comes to Zachariah, but it doesn't happen quite yet. He still needs to get together with his wife and make a baby, and then the baby will come. And, and in a real sense, you had these years of silence, and now the prophet is about to be born, and a new era, a new thing, a new covenant, everything is going to be made new. And this is where we live, in this kind of newness, and yet... I don't know, because although the kingdom has come, it is still coming, right? And although I am saved, I am also being saved, and someday I will be saved, right? Although I am sanctified, I am being sanctified, and someday I will be sanctified. Like, we are still waiting. We are still in exile, Although we have the kingdom, we're living here in this time, and the good we want to do, we don't do, and the bad we don't want to do, we do, and we still have this struggle, and we're caught now between the now and the not yet. And John Newton said, I am not what I ought to be, and I'm not what I want to be, and I'm not what I hope to be in another world, in heaven. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I'm Popeye. I am what I am right? All the old people know this, right? I am what I am. And this is, this, is true, this is true of us, right? You are not what you ought to be, and you're not what you want to be, and you're not what you hope to be someday in heaven, but God has moved in our lives, and we're not what we used to be, and we are accepted in the beloved. And don't let the evil one tell you anything different than that, Years ago, I really loved this song by Don Francisco because it's something our hearts need to hear in the midst of our waiting, in the midst of our struggles. And the song goes like this, I know what you've been hearing, and I've seen you hide your fears. Embarrassed by your weaknesses, afraid to let me near, I wish you knew how much I longed for you to understand No matter what may happen, child, I'll never let go of your hand. I know you've been forsaken by all you've known before. When you failed their expectations, they just frowned and closed the door. But even if your heart itself should lose the will to stand, no matter what may happen, child, I'll never let go of your hand. The life that I have given you no one can take away because I've sealed it with my spirit, blood, and word. The everlasting Father's made his covenant with you and he's stronger than the world you've seen and heard. So don't you fear to show them all the love I have for you and I'll be with you everywhere in everything you do. And even if you do it wrong and miss the joy I've planned, no matter what may happen, child, I'll never let go of your hand. Will you pray with me? Lord, so here we are, caught between the now and the not yet, still waiting for the fullness of your kingdom. Our hearts cry, come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. And and this is what Advent is about, and this is what our hope is about. And, Thank you in the midst of our stumbling that you hold on to us and you uplift your people and you use us in this world. And for that, we say, thank you, Lord, and come Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.